Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode 121 of the Galen Trombley Show. Uh, my guest today, um, and I'll, I'll go by the title, Community Resource Officer of the Plattsburgh City Police at the Community Service Center located on Margaret Street. Um, I always, some guests I've known for years, some guests I don't really know. I would say um, my guest is Brad Miller today. Brad, I, I think I know more of you than, I think we both know more of each other than we do personally, but I'm excited to have you on. Um, I kind of watch from afar of stuff that you've done. So um, this is, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. So Brad, welcome. I was going <laughs> to say you. this is live. We got, we, got the, we got everything, we got the whole gear. So Brad, welcome. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? Good. Yeah. Um, so people that do not know you, just kind of give us a little brief background, kind of uh story of how you got to 2021 brad miller okay so i'm not afraid i'm pretty open about conversation um my dad was in the military that's how i ended up in plattsburgh new york uh we flew in from um england and i've been here since i was 12 years old i call this home um grew up in a poor household single mom four kids uh dad left us when i was 13 um you know, so I know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to be in an uh, abusive, alcoholic, substance abuse household. Um, you know, it pays a toll on kids. Um, I understand that. So that's a little bit of how I ended up here in Plattsburgh, New York. Um, went to local schools here. Ended up having two beautiful kids. I have a 25-year-old. I say kids, but... 25-year-old Zach, he works for the U.S. Postal Service, and I have a 15-year-old uh, Xander who is a student at Plattsburgh High School. Um, about 19 years ago, I came on to the Plattsburgh Police Department um, and worked the streets as a street cop. You know, 10 of those years out of the, the 17 were probably night shift. Um, and then... The position came open for this uh, community resource officer downtown. Um, and if you wanted to go into how that all started, we can talk about that. But this is how I'm sitting here today with you and, you know, being able to have that platform to discuss things that about the job and what we're doing and how we're trying to be more engaging with the community. Okay, so it, we'll dive into that. So going back to, were you born in England? No, actually, I was born in southern Louisiana. Okay. So um, when people say, you know, from the bigger cities, they come up here, whether college students or not, and they say, well, there's you guys are redneck cops. And I joke around and say, if you want to see a redneck cop, go down to southern Louisiana because uh, <laughs> it's what? down in the bayous, much different than up here. Now, what's, what's the bayous like down there in Louisiana? It's, it's uh, I mean... I remember a little bit of it because I was very, very young. Um, being a military dependent, you don't stay in one place very long. 
Um, it can be very traumatizing on a child. Every three, four years, you end up packing up and moving. Um, so I was only there for the first couple years of my life and then had to move on to the next air base. Was that hard making friends growing up? Um, yeah. Probably, you, again, you leave and you don't really have, you know what I mean? You, you go to another state. It's not like the kids are following you. It's before technology, before Facebook. Right. It's like starting all over again, starting life, starting school, uh, friendships, houses, like everything is starting over. Um, and I think to this day, part of that part of my life has affected me. It's like, you know, I've been through a couple of divorces. I'm starting over or lose a house. I have to build myself back up, get another house, build another family. So I think some of that has to do with the constant, you know, being a military dependent and moving and starting over every three or four years. And you said you moved up here at 12 years old yes. and then this was, this was it. This was, you never moved away and came back. Right. My, my dad left when I was 13 and, um, kind of sad to say, but kind of left us to hang and dry. And, mm -hmm. um, it was, it was tough. There were some tough times, but you know, I had to step up and be that bigger brother and, and be a father figure and, and do what I could to contribute. Are you the oldest in the family? The no, siblings? no. My, my brother's actually a year and a half older and he decided to peace out because he didn't want the responsibility. So, okay. <laughs> and you have younger siblings? Yes. I have two sisters. Okay. One is a school counselor, uh, Kelly at, uh, MoMA elementary. And one is, uh, she does pet grooming. Okay. So now do you think like, I should say, actually, let's keep going back there. So how did you get into the police department? So uh, being, uh, I was pretty much on the straight and narrow growing up. I was a little rebellious when it came to, you know, I wouldn't be afraid to jump out of two story windows if I had to, cause somebody's dad was chasing me kind of thing. Um, you know, being 13 years old, 14 years old, 15 years old. Um, you know, I had to do some things that I didn't want to do as, as a, a kid. And that's when you don't have enough food at home and you think about others. You know, there were times there wasn't enough food at home. And I went into stores and did things I had to do just to uh, try to survive. Um you know, and I, I use that as a learning experience. And when I talk about that kind of stuff, um, it actually breaks down some barriers and it, it can build relationships, especially in the type of work that I'm doing now. So when, when did you get into the police department? Was this like your first gig, like right out of school you went into? No, I started when I was 31. Actually, I okay. was one of the oldest in the academy. Um, I worked security work since I was 18. So when I was a senior in high school, I knew I wanted to do something to contribute to the community. Um, the whole thing with law enforcement and policing fascinated me. Um, I wanted to be the good guy. Um, so I was trying to, I didn't have a father to help direct me in, in, a, in the right direction. So I had to kind of lead myself. Um, so I did a lot of security work for between 18 and 31 years of age. So I've done everything from when I was 18, I got hired at mall security. When I was 20, I worked security at CVPH and was also an emergency medical technician. Um, I did that for three or four years. I went into, I was a security director at the mall after I got a lot of experience years later. And then I got into loss prevention, became a corporate investigator for a large corporation 
and then took a pay cut and a schedule change to become a police officer. Now, was that the ultimate goal or was this kind of something you just fell into? Because 31, I'm 31 right now, so I'm kind of putting it in perspective of that'd be like me completely changing. I would say changing, I guess it is, going from security to police, even though it's kind Mm -hmm. of law enforcement, it's, I would say, a pretty different realm of law enforcement or do you think they're pretty similar? Well, the thing with security, especially in uh, corporations or retail, they're, they're worried about shrinkage and theft and you know, loss of company and how, what can, what can security do to try to, whether it's stop a shoplifter or do an internal investigation. So it was primarily like a monetary kind of, how can we hire security to keep our merchandise safe, to keep our, our cash in our register safe, to keep our employees safe. So I felt like I was kind of limited in what I was doing and I didn't want to make a career out of it because I felt that that wasn't enough for me to reach more people and to help more people. So did you find it was hard at at 31 to switch careers or was it just like the natural stepping stone? Uh, Some of the things that I did like working hospital security, I got a lot of exposure. Um, you know, we got called to the mental health unit a lot. We got called to the emergency department a lot. I was a, a driver for the ambulance and also an EMT. So I responded to emergencies like car accidents and, you know, people that have mental health crisis or maybe suicidal um, uh, injuries, things like that. So I, I, w- I had some exposure doing that. Um, and it kind of helped me when it came time to put it into play as far as in the academy and you know I had a martial arts background so defensive tactics wasn't difficult for me um I always stayed in shape so I made sure that going in the academy I wasn't going to have to worry about the time run the sit-ups the push-ups um and now being assigned as being a recruiter for the plastic police department those are some of the things I can talk about being prepared um to actually take this job on so was your goal to go into the city the uh, pd or were you did you didn't really have like when you came out of the academy were you like it wasn't a trooper academy right so the police department or the police department and the trooper and like sheriff are they all different academies um they are not the state police does have their separate academy and we've had people um come on board with us at the plaza police department and then decide that they want to go to the state police for maybe more money or a different location. Um, and they would move on and have to still complete a state police academy. Our headquarters, our department has a zone nine police academy. So we're the, the headquarters for the zone nine police academy and agencies in that academy could be the Clinton County Sheriff's Department, Essex County Sheriff's Department, Lake Placid PD, Saranac Lake PD. So basically any police agency in the tri-county area with the exception of the state police um, or federal, um, the academy's right here in Plattsburgh. So you get into the Plattsburgh Police Department. Um, and would you say night shift we started? Um, you, you do a five-month academy, roughly four months of field training. Um, then you get um, after the field training, you get kind of cut loose on your own and the shifts go by seniority. So typically somebody new coming on 
would end up on a night shift, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, there were quite a few guys that were on day shift at the time that had seniority, and you pick your shift every year, so they <laughs> wanted to remain on day shift. So the, the new recruits or the newbies or the people with less than five years on had to work a night shift 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And, and you had to basically wait till guys retire to, to, to kind of keep getting to, to bid, the Yeah, to bid the next <laughs> shift, yep. <laughs> the, uh, now, what's it, now, have you been on day shifts too? Yeah, so I, after about 10 years of night shifts, I, I went to day shift, and I was on day shift for about, I'd say six and a half years until I got this position. Is, is that kind of trippy for you to go from like the night down to the day? Like just kind of a change? Yeah, in just sleep schedule, if, but also just like. Oh my goodness. If you think about working three night shifts, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. in a row and then having two days off. So your first day off, you're actually trying to get a little bit of sleep because you're so exhausted after working 36 hours and three nights and you know, the stress levels and all that stuff going on in the job, you crash for a couple hours. You try to force yourself up early no matter how tired you are. So you can go to bed that night. Mm -hmm. So you go to bed that night and then the following night you go to bed also and your body starts to adjust and then you're right back to night shift again. So you don't know when to sleep, when to eat. Oh, it is on your body. It's, you know, I, I may have been grumpy quite a few times, but you, you try to, are you a coffee guy? Ever since I became a cop, yes. Okay. Uh, and I, I, just just for the record, not a donut guy, but I'm a coffee guy. So like the Simpsons was it? Was the guy the officer, whatever his name is? Yeah. I haven't seen the Simpsons in a long time, but that was always a Wiggums officer Wiggums. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I just remember because Ralph Ralph Wiggums was this guy. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> the uh, yeah, guys, it's been years since I've seen that. But if um, so, yeah, the night so the night shift. How's day and night? I mean, I would say from an outsider perspective, I would think the night shift would be potentially more high stress, high, you know, potential for problems. Just knowing, you know, potential night crowd may not be as good as the day crowd. Because some mm-hmm. people might say it's quieter at night because people are sleeping in mm-hmm. theory. But I would think also when people are sleeping, that's probably when the most like mischief would happen. So Yeah. See, you said the Q word. That's something that you do not say when you're on the road. Because if you say the Q word and it rhymes with riot, I'm not even going to say it because I've been trained the, not uh, to. <laughs> we were in the the, uh, the delivery wing for our child a couple of months ago. Yeah. And we said that. And like, don't say the Q word. Yes. Yeah, so- people, people in law enforcement, medical professionals, um, fire, EMS, they all, they all I mean, know. your job, a qu- quiet's a good thing. It is, but not to say it. Not because say if you it, say yeah. it, it's like coming across a black cat. You will turn your patrol car around and drive 10 miles the other way just to get around that black cat because it's going to bring you bad luck. So, 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 <laughs> so, so the, uh, the Q riot times, the, uh, so did you find that night was a little more higher stress than days? Um, kinda, I would say different type of patrolling, right? It is. And I, I'd have to say it's a different animal. Um, not saying that one is more stressful than the other. I've experienced both. Um, being on night shift, it is paying a toll on your body. You know, you you have to stay awake. You're going from call to call. You have to work to beat downtown. There's a you know a high concentration of bars or establishments downtown. Um, you know, prior prior to uh, to COVID, it was a different 
different scenario, right? Because college was in full swing. Um, locals would go out. Um, there is no 25% or 50% capacity. It was mm -hmm. kind of like a free-for-all. And having two guys beat cops on the street downtown, you know, between certain hours, sometimes till 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning because that's how people, how long they would linger downtown after drinking and maybe having a slice of pizza or a hot dog or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. And and you're smiling because you know it. You may, oh, you've made it. You may have been down there. I was a kid or younger at one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, it to be down there to be a sense of safety and security and and also provide a, a order downtown because if not, then you know people were getting assaulted and property was getting damaged and that's that's what the nightlife is. So when when you go down and taking downtown. Um, the extent what a, the extension of Bridge Street is that I don't know is that Bridge Street still going up like kind from of from Margaret Ashley's to Furniture Bridge and Green yes, Room right there. Yes. So those two cops are pretty much the only ones normally that are in the, the downtown side. area. And then there were other. I mean, you have people for backup police officers and stuff. doing uh, handling complaints, uh, whether it's a noise complaint, uh, maybe a DWI, domestic disturbance. Um, things things go on. Um, you could have a large altercation downtown, but in the same time. Dispatch is calling for a unit to break because there's a physical domestic in progress. Mm -hmm. So if you kind of put that in your head, and a lot of people in the public don't know what goes on until they've maybe done like a ride along with us, and then it opens up their eyes like, wow. Well, that's that's. The th I mean, I, I think I'm like everybody else. I have assumptions as to what you do, but I think when you actually are in the car going about, I mean... You like when people like you hear like a middle of the night and you hear like a noise at your house. You're like, "What the heck is that?" Yeah, like freak out, knowing that it's probably nothing. It's probably just something. You know, just your ears were just in tuned at that time. I would find that your line of work, you're probably you're pretty much on edge probably the whole shift. Which I would think that at the at least I think I would like if I was in that position. But I would think at the end of the shift, it's got to be more mentally exhausting than it is physically exhausting. Yeah, and and usually at the end of the shift is when you have to try to get all your paperwork done before you leave mm -hmm. so every everything that you respond to every incident every complaint uh, requires paperwork you have to type up a case report uh, depending on what you responded to is how much pay, paperwork you're going to um, end up with and sometimes in some cases it's hours and hours long if you have a physical domestic dispute uh, involving several charges like assault and endangering the welfare of a child and um, menacing or unlawful imprisonment, or but yeah, I mean, you're talking four or five charges and that happens. I mean, it's not like it doesn't happen. It does happen and you have to get it done before you leave. So sometimes you're there several hours after your shift and you're typing. Um, and with these new disclosure laws and everything, you have to prepare even more, whether it's video evidence, radio transmissions, um, you know, surveillance from maybe a business, um, all that stuff you, we have to gather now and, and hold for a long period of time. So you would have to go back and like, you know, happen in Margaret street. You might have to go to those businesses, look at their webcams, look at everything and then start Ask, doing an investigation. Yep, and absolutely. Um, and so now, it doesn't stop there. It just keeps going. Yeah. And, yeah. um, I mean, I would think even just writing up detailed reports cause I've, I've had to, I think I've had to go to the 
trooper barracks a couple times in my life to file something and you sit down with an officer mm-hmm. and they just sit there and it's just like they're typing like a, like a, a school paper like they're mm-hmm. just going through and like details and it's fairly specific because I mean like you said you gotta because I'm sure if it gets to the court case or if it becomes something you have to have all your ducks in a row yep. um, especially when it's fresh in your memory and it's not like it's like everybody else trying to remember back and you guys see so many cases like you miss details where things get embellished or or just forgotten because of time. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, fresh my brain. I can do, 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 do. And do you find that, I mean, does the work, does the work stay with you a lot? Are you good? Are you good about separating the two? Cause you could go from, like you said, seeing some, like, obviously the worst of the worst stuff to like the next day you got a family party. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just, a, yeah, it's, it's definitely there. There is a dark side to it. Um, and everybody is different. Um, some people handle those stress different than others um you know i don't drink and do the drugs and hopefully not because i'm a police officer but um my outlet was the gym Mm -hmm. or the harley time with family that's my outlet can i sever work from home i can honestly say no um but that i'm a thinker i think all the time i i wonder you know did, did i get everything done you know did i articulate this enough is that kid safe tonight um you know there's a lot that goes on that people don't want to talk about um but the police know about mm-hmm. domestic violence suicides um overdoses child abuse uh, sexual assaults those are things that people either they don't want to talk about and they or they don't know about it unless they personally had it some type of event in their life um and you ask me if i either take it home or remember i remember every suicide um it's tough mm-hmm. you know when when somebody is you know it's unfortunate they came across a time in their life where um they decided to hang themselves and they leave a collage of their family in front of them on a coffee table and you know wife and two kids recently separated one of these are just coming up in my head as we're talking about it and you know to see that person end their life um in that way and leave a note that they miss their family and they can't go on and live alone anymore and you have to be the one to tell the family that um so they, that's a- their loved one has just taken their life and that's the call you've had to make absolutely oh god um i mean are those I'm assuming that death sticks out the most out of anything. It, it does. I think I mean, death, I, death is more the more traumatic. I yeah. would say, um, you know, then you go to post-traumatic, uh, you know, syndrome, and it's it's one of those things that um, if if it doesn't affect you. I don't think anybody can get numb enough or it doesn't affect you mm-hmm. because every case is different. Every person's different. They each case they have family members. They have people that love them. Um you know and and to be that person as a police officer, you might be the only police contact that that person's ever had in their life and you're telling them that a loved one has just committed suicide. I mean, it's an awful thing. Um and that's one of the stresses I think with especially with covid with the depression and you know mental health and and addiction those are the things that you know i am trying to to help bridge those gaps and 
and build those relationships to help people that are in that dark place. So now, and I don't want to get too much off because we'll probably touch base on some of that stuff again, but your role now as being, um, you know, the community resource officer, this is kind of going to that. When did the start? When are you the first, are you the first person to take this on? Are you the founding, you know, title holder of that? Or Yeah. So there were several, um, leaders and members of the community that reached out to our department managers requesting, you know, a, a community center. So police can be more engaging with the public and, you know, to try to make quality life issues better, not just downtown, but in this community, any surrounding communities. Um, so back in November of 2018, um, I was assigned this position. I've been there almost 20 years and there was never a position like this. You know, we have a juvenile officer, we have a public housing authority officer. Um, we have detectives, we have people in patrol. Um, so we never had anybody specifically for community policing, um, boots on the ground, you know, be down there, be a friendly, familiar face, um, try to address the quality of life issues. Um, try to partner, be a partnership with local businesses. Um, that's one of the first things I did when I got down there. I went, reached out to every business downtown. I brought my business cards, you know, is there anything that I can do for you? You know, and if it's a restaurant, I would get a menu and I would give my business card and I would bring all the menus. I have a collection of them down at the community center. And I figure that's one of the ways I can help because people use it as an information center. Mm -hmm. We're a college town. People drive here and they visit to see if they want to bring their daughter or their son to college. And hey, where's the best place to get pizza? Where can I get a cup of coffee? You know, I'm looking for gluten-free bread so I can get a sandwich for my daughter. Like, you know, and they appreciated that. Um, I've also collaborated on events and stuff with these local businesses and large corporations. So when we first started, it was where's this thing going to go kind of thing. Um, and I'm, you know, very, um, grateful on the platform that I've been provided. Um, so what, what, when 2000, you said 18, this started? Yep. November, 2018. So November of 2018, like what was the, what was the focus of this? Like when you were, when this whole position was created, mm -hmm. what was the goal you guys were trying to accomplish? It was to be having the police more engaging with the public. Um, and how that was done was going to be uh, based on whoever is going to be put in that position, where they're going to take it, and whether it's going to be successful or not. So the first year is paid for by asset seizure money. Obviously, if there's a space in downtown Plattsburgh, it's a nice space. We have a great landlord. Um, you know, he has, has been very supportive in what we do. He's glad we're down there. So... The space being the community center at 79 Margaret Street. It's a very warm, welcoming environment. Uh, when people walk in, they don't feel like it's like a cold, kind of like a jail or even a police station. A lot of people don't like going to the police station, right? No, it's not, usually you're not there for you know good reasons for the <laughs> right. most part, unless you're right. a kid going on a tour. But yeah. um, I mean, it's right... It, and for people that don't know, it's it's pretty much down the main corridor of Margaret Street, probably across from what, like the Himalayan Twisted Carrot, yep. kind of in that. Yep, right across piece. from the Himalaya. Yes. Yeah. So, 
Um, it's, I mean, it's right downtown, very prominent position uh, in, you know, location wise. And I would agree that it, it looks more of like an information hub than it looked like anything else. And, mm-hmm. and it's kind of one, even though I know it's there, it's still that I like, what, what do they do it? Like, what is that mm-hmm. for? Cause it, it's, it's different. You usually think like police officer, you think the station, you know, down, mm-hmm. you know, down behind uh, Stafford and like, you know, like that, you see cars patrolling, but you don't see a position of like, this is another branch or another, you know, category or another, I guess, category, you know what I mean? Like another branch of mm-hmm. the police department. Now, you know, being a community service center and, and, you know, starting that position, ha- have you found that, what one was it, I mean, what was the, was it needed, do you think? Or was this something that, like, did you do it out of necessity? Did you do it out of, like, maybe social, cha- change in social, um, you know, because obviously, like, 2020 was obviously a, a pretty challenging year for cops nationally, you know? Mm-hmm. Did you find, this was obviously a couple years prior to that, did you find that potentially social changes were causing that? Do you find that there was just a need where, or did you just say, hey, we don't really need it, but there's a huge opportunity that we can capitalize on? I, I think it all started because of, people in our community requested it. So it was something that was researched and looked into. And if they had the right person in there doing all the right things, then it would be successful. And I look upon it now and I say, well, we have a New York state governor who had an executive order 203A that is dozens and dozens of pages long. Um, on recommendations for criminal justice reform. Well, you bet I went through it and five or six pages, they mention a community policing program. So I look at this way, we're two and a half years ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, they're requesting these recommendations by April 1st. Everything's in place already. We have a community center. We deal with people with addiction. We try to help the underprivileged. Um, I work with foster kids. Uh, I work with people with mental illness. I work with uh, people with addiction, um, local businesses. These are things that in the executive order they're they're recommending, and we're already there. So when this first opened up, you have this space. So what do you do with this space? Well, what's your mission? What's your plan? So people in the community said, well, uh, Ted Kowalczyk was actually one of the people in the community. He started the Ted K Center over the housing projects. Why? To try to reach the youth and people that may not have, you know, the middle class, upper class salaries, um, because those are people too, right? Um, So he was asking about this. It was originally opened up as a substation, and people were like, why do you need another police station? Is this a drunk tank for people downtown? I can tell you this right now. I invite anybody that is listening they can come down to the community center. It's a very warm, welcoming environment. When you first walk in, you there's a coffee station with snacks and bottled water and coffee and hot chocolate, which is used almost daily. People come in, even people that are cold outside, the homeless, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. People come in and use it. Um, there's an information board of all kinds of services that we provide. Um, it's a very relaxed warm environment the people that normally wouldn't go and speak to the police have come in and have long conversations with me so what is i mean do you have people that come in like you said it could be coming in for information could be people that are curious could be people that um i guess do you host events there 
Yes. Okay. Yep. And then we'll get to that. So people that might be coming just because they have an event or a meeting with you. Um, do you have any people that come in kind of, you know, substance abuse, mental illness that come to you and say, you know, Hey, do you have any recommendations on this? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you want to go back a little bit when we first opened, like one of the first major things that happened that blew up and went viral. And this is the kind of direction that we knew we wanted to go. Um, and if I could just tell that story real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so it was Christmas Eve, uh, December 24, 2018. It was single digit temperatures. It was cold. Um, I was walking the beat and stopping in with businesses and saying happy holidays, Merry Christmas, you know, and I had come around the corner from Protection Avenue onto Margaret Street. I see this young man, late teens, early 20s, um, young black man and looked like he was lost and trying to get service. He had a cell phone, which I found out it was an international phone. And he was from Paris, France. He didn't have a hat on, didn't have gloves on. He was dragging luggage. So it looked out of place to me, you know, not because of the the color of his skin, but because he's... It's freezing out. In the it's country. freezing <laughs> out. He's not, you know, it looks like he's not prepared for the weather. He's mm -hmm. dragging luggage. Who who drags her luggage downtown, you know, when it's, when it's that cold? So I decided to stop and say, hey, are you okay? And he told me it was a long story in a very French, heavy French accent. And... Um, I said, that's okay. I said, I have a community center a couple doors down. It's really cold out. Why don't we stop in there to get warm? And I can see if I can try to help you out. He says, I'm trying to get cell phone service because it's an inter international phone. I'm from Paris, France. I didn't have internet at the time down at the, and that's another story, but <laughs> I didn't have internet at the community center, but I got him down in the community center, got him something warm to drink. Um, I let him use my department cell phone. So his closest family was in Chicago, Illinois. He's a student up in Montreal. He decided a week before Christmas to go with friends from his college down to New York City to, uh, to visit some of their friends for the holiday. And when he would try to go back up to the border, his visa expired. Hmm. And <clears throat> he had $20 in his wallet. And they were able to get him a, a cab ride to Plattsburgh for $17. So he had $3 remaining. Uh, we're sitting down talking. He was able to get a hold of his aunt. His aunt, his mom's sister, um, spoke to me on the phone. They haven't been in touch with him for over 24 hours. Last they knew he was in New York City. They thought he was going to be in Montreal and then fly to Paris for the holidays. So they hadn't heard from their kid. He's 22 years old. Um, you know, his name was Eric. He desperate times cause for desperate measures sometimes, you know, and um, I wanted to see what else, what I could do to try to help him get to where he needed to be. Chicago's a long way. Paris, France is a long way. Um, since I didn't have internet at the time, I brought him to the sandwich shop. I don't know if you remember that oh, yeah. place on good. the corner. And Where Incas is now. Yep, yeah. yep. And Jeff Watts was great. I said, Jeff, this young man is from Paris, France. Can he log on to your internet? He's got Amtrak 
train tickets. His mom sent them, but he can't get to open up the phone because he doesn't have service. It was sent through email. And he said, absolutely. So I gave him the password. And then all, all of a sudden, all these messages and voicemails and emails came up, and he pulled up his train ticket from Plattsburgh to Chicago. It's a 28-hour ride. It ended up being over 30 hours. Um, I told him to screenshot it because if he were to leave, mm-hmm. then he wouldn't have the, the train ticket with him. And then I said to Jeff, I said, uh, can we get him something to eat? I said, Eric, you hungry? He says, yes. He said, uh, but I only have $3. And he felt obligated to take out his wallet and open it up and show me mm-hmm. that he only had $3. And I told him, I said, I trust you. I'm not worried about that. So you're building trust, mm-hmm. you know, with each other in that, that moment that you're actually trying to help somebody. And um, I don't know how, what his, the stigma that the police have you know, what were his encounters with people in uniform? Never mind in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jeff's like, I'll get him whatever he wants. And I went to go pay for it. And Jeff's like, no, I got it. And then Jeff and I are kind of like having this dispute in the store. Who's going to pay for Eric's food? Um, not out of recognition, but out of respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so Eric, Eric was... Provided a large sub, French fries, two drinks that uh, Jeff staff made up, and and they covered the the food. So after he ate, he actually took half of them with him because he's going to be on a twenty-eight to thirty-hour train ride. I gave him my business card, and I said, um, "Eric, I want you to call me. I know it's Christmas Eve, but I want to make sure that you get there, and that you get there safely. If you run into any problems." whether it's with like getting redirected or you have some issues or even with the police, give me a call. When you get there, could you send me an email? He sent me an email um, when he arrived there and talked about he has renowned faith in humanity because of how he was treated in the city of Plattsburgh. And that was the first thing that happened at the community center that we're like yeah we're we're here to help people mm-hmm. we're here to um, be a positive police presence you know it's not for the shakedown it's not for the tickets it's not for the rest it's not you know um where people feel like they're harassed it's more of a what can we do to help you if you're part of our community or you're in our community and that was kind of like the the starting point of and me thinking Jeff Watts and the people at the sandwich shop for helping me help somebody else. And this is where you get into community, right? Mm -hmm. The word unity is in community. So we're coming together and we're unifying to help somebody that's from another country. And they were so appreciative and it just, it made me feel so good. Um, And it just, it just seemed to take off after that. Like, everything as far as even mental illness and and addiction if you want to get into that about being a uh the first and only police officer that's certified as a recovery coach and a peer advocate yeah, go um, yeah. talk about that the uh the first year that the community center opened we used uh, asset seizure funds to pay the rent to try to get some equipment and um to basically start the place and and have it running for a year so it was a pilot program 
if it was successful, we had to think of some long-term sustainability. What were we going to do to try to, to keep this place open if it's successful? Well, after community events like coloring with a cop and schools out kids count and, you know, working with the foster kids and, and, um, you know, the mentorship program, the youth explorers law enforcement program, that was huge. And we could talk about that too. Um, it just grew and grew and grew and people wanted to be a part of it. So, you know, you're successful when people want, they come to you and they say, can we work together? You know, is there something that we can do or can you help? Or, you know, I was getting phone calls and having meetings with people from like Staples. Like I'm having a back to school event. I see what you're doing in the community. Can you help? So um, after the first year, the second year was starting to come around. And of course, everybody worries about funding. But because of the the things that we did for the first year and getting so involved in the community and bringing people together and, and helping those in need, um, we teamed up with Rochelle Gregory and the Clinton County uh, Mental Health and Addiction Services. And we were able to get a state grant. And that grant not only provided enough funds to keep that place open for another year, but it also brought in people with in the mental health profession to actually work out of the community center. So they had um, people from the Clinton County Addiction Services come down to the community center to work out of the office and people from National Alliance for Mental Illness from NAMI um, also had peer advocates and staff that would come down to the community center and have meetings down there like group meetings they would also have one-on-one -on -one conversations there's a an office in the back that's private if they wanted to be private um so that was another the the big thing about the um that grant for the second year for the state is before they proceeded with the grant they said well if this guy if this officer miller is a real deal then we would like him to be trained to be a recovery coach. I didn't know what a recovery coach was at the time. I'm a police officer, right? What do you usually deal with when you're a police officer when it comes to narcotics? It's usually a, a drug investigation or arrest. Mm -hmm. So the, the chief said, would you consider this? And... I'm like, yeah, sure. I looked at my schedule. I'm like, oh, darn, I'm on vacation. And he's like, well, you don't have to do it. I said, yes, I do. I do have to do it. So I ended up going to recovery coach school. It was a couple weeks long. And the instructors were Dennis King from Champlain Valley Family Center and Nick Dubé from, from NAMI. And it was eye-opening. I, I can tell you that... The first day I, I stood up and I said, you know, I could have went in and with jeans and a, a hat and a t-shirt and tried to sit in the corner. But, you know, we have class A's, which I'm wearing today, and we have class B's, which is more of like the polo with Plattsburgh City Police on the front and khaki pants. And, you know, you still have your badge and your gun and, and your handcuffs, but it's not, you know, a class A uniform. So I went in 
with that because I didn't want to deceive anybody, you know. And I stood up. Everybody had to stand up and say why they were there. And I stood up and I identified myself and I said I was a police officer. And at the looks that I got, you got to remember, the majority of people in that classroom are recovering addicts. Mm -hmm. And there is a stigma with people with addiction and there's a stigma with police officers. So people's heads slowly turned around to look at me and their eyes were wide open. And then I got some scowls. And then I said, I just want to let everybody know that I'm not here for uh, information purposes. I'm not here to see if anybody has narcotics, if they're staying clean. I'm here to help people. And that made a big difference. It opened their eyes to say, wow, there's a police officer. And it only took a couple of days. I had you know, people sitting at my table that hated, hated cops. They were in, one was... Uh, so desperate she had to sell herself to support her habit and she had been arrested a dozen times she hated the police Mm -hmm. and after a couple days of working together in groups and you know sharing stories and talking about addiction and what we can do to help i she gave me a hug and asked if i would write a little note in her uh it's kind of like a little graduation booklet Mm -hmm. and you know it just it took off from there so it's something that's rare they told me before i took that class that it was going to be groundbreaking and when you hear groundbreaking whether you're in business whether you're in policing whether you're in uh, a certain service or training when you hear groundbreaking and you're a part of it you want to be a part of it Mm -hmm. you know so it just it flourished from there um i mean Again, I think when you talk about going into a position like that, typically, you know, I think the police, I think, if, like you said, if you're reaching out, saying you're trying to help, but coming from a place where a lot of it is breaking down the barriers. So I think at the end mm-hmm. of the day, someone that struggles with addiction or mental illness or, you know, re- like legitimate, you know, things that people deal with, sometimes they feel, I would think would feel scared or you know, maybe uh, self-conscious about reaching out for help, knowing, hey, the police typically put people like me away mm-hmm. instead of saying, hey, listen, I need you as an ally. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the way you're doing it and the way that the police department has like kind of shifted this this view is that, like you said, the united or the unity of community mm-hmm. is so important because one, it allows you as, you know, someone that may have maybe, like you said, it was groundbreaking and eye-opening for you. Mm-hmm. Now you have a little bit more empathy for these people and then mm-hmm. know what they're struggling with. Or, you know, again, I, I, you know, you can kind of look at their situation and know what, what might be their objection or concern or hesitation to sit at my table and talk to me at one of these events mm-hmm. versus giving me a look maybe the first day nope. to break uh, bridging that gap saying hey talk to me i'm a resource i want to help you mm-hmm. you know what's your issue let me see if i can brainstorm as a friend peer whatever you want to call it versus thinking that this is two sides that are kind of you know like a you know almost like two rivals trying to butt heads right um it has and has that what are we just just over two years now have mm-hmm. you seen that shift like happen quicker than you thought it would uh, um, or is it, it happening on pace or do you think there's still I, like a lot more you have to do i think um, how it happens, how fast it happens, why it happens, all those questions are, 
it's it's not really a, a force, but it is a push to try to promote that um, relationship. You know, to like you said, um, it is breaking barriers. You know, it is bridging gaps. And on my logo, I have uh, bridging gaps and building relationships because you could bridge the gap, but you might not. You might just barely connect, but you have to build on top of that. So after becoming a recovery coach, um, I reached out to people like Conifer Park and um, Champlain Valley Family Center and MHAB, and I was part of the Spark team. I don't know if you've uh, substance prevention, abuse, and recovery of Clinton County. Uh, a friend of mine, Ed Kirby. I don't know if you know him, but his- Ed. Ed uh- Ed from Rotary? Yes. He came here once in a duck costume, so I have a lot of respect for a man that dresses in a duck, <laughs> yes, duck costume. Yes, yes, and he's about the right height. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, he's part of uh, my committee of the Youth Explorers program, and that's that's a whole other topic. But after we had met and we had a two-hour conversation, um, he talked to me about how he had lost his son to addiction and, you know, it tore me up. And I see those those things like when you're on the job, you see somebody that's overdosed, and now we have Narcan, and we administer Narcan, um, and people don't realize the men and women of Plattsburgh Police Department are saving people all the time, but we just don't put it in the paper. We're not we're not advertising that, you know. John Smith had an overdose, and we had to give him three doses of Narcan just to keep his heart going, and you know to keep him alive, basically. Um, so like Ed, Ed Kirby's part of the committee for my youth explorers. And when he told me that story about his son and, uh, we're, we're still close to this day. And he was actually on present during the rotary when I did a presentation yesterday. And, um, I have a lot of respect for, for Ed and he introduced me to spark that substance prevention, abuse and recovery, Clinton County. So I was attending those meetings every month in uniform and there was a all walks of life that were there to help support people with addiction people that the public might not have a clue there's former judges there the district attorney was there um the city police myself and state police were there um people from homeland security uh, counselors bhsn like conifer park um champlain valley family center Clinton County Addiction Service, all those people were there together to try to help this cause and what they can do. Not not for enforcement. As community members. As community members. Yeah. And, um, you know, th- then it moved on to, I don't know if you've heard anything or much about Conifer Park. I'm um, aware of it, but not probably okay. not detail. So the, it's basically they help people if you have let's say a meth or heroin addiction and they could provide a certain medication to get you off those street drugs that are very dangerous people were putting these drug dealers are putting fentanyl in it so you know you are near death or die uh from that one injection or you know one dose of of that narcotic street narcotic and um usually the police aren't really well received there because people there are maybe they're court ordered to go get treatment um maybe they just got arrested the week prior uh maybe they're still using and Mm -hmm. seeking help and if they see somebody in uniform they freak out you know did they leave a pipe on them 
Um, are they still high from last night? You know, and um, are they coming here for a warrant? Like, do I have a warrant? So I met with, uh, I don't know if you know Chad Rollings, but he was yeah, actually... Yeah, went to school with Chad. Yeah, so Chad was, uh, he was in my recovery coach. Chad's great. School. I love Chad. Yeah. And, you know, Chad and his background, he, he would look over at me in class and kind of like, you know, why is there a cop here kind of thing? And, and you know, <laughs> we, sounds like him too. you know, <laughs> like, what's up with that? You know, <laughs> um, him and his long beard, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, luscious beard. And, yeah. and to this day, he comes down to the community center once or twice a week. Um, but we established a relationship from that class. He knew where I was coming from. I knew where he's been. And then I appreciated the fact because it's not where you've been, it's where you're at. Mm-hmm. And right now, he is trying to help people who was in the same situation that he was in. And that took him in the wrong direction in life. And now he's trying to make things better, not only for himself, but for others. I respect that. Mm-hmm. So him and I, we, we had this bond. And he wanted me to meet Amanda, the director of Conifer Park. So Amanda Leary. So she actually came down to the community center and me and Chad and Amanda sat down and we were talking, had a long conversation. And Amanda says, well, Brad, what would you suggest? How can we, how can we make a difference? And I said, how about me going uh, into your groups and talking to your people? And at first she's like, oh boy, like, no, I don't, I don't think that's going to fly. Like, you know, when the police go there, they're usually arresting somebody. I said, let's change that. If you want change, be that change. Mm-hmm. And it opened her eyes. So I first met with the staff and the peer advocates and the counselors. And um, it had a, we had a great conversation. And then I was invited to do a group meeting with clients. First time it's ever happened. This was uh, just before it was pre-COVID. And we, we sat down at a table and we had open dialogue. And the discussions that we had um, needed to be had. But after talking and having that open dialogue, it really did open up eyes on both sides of the fence. So it, it really was, it was therapeutic not only for me, but it was for the people that were there. And now... Chad will bring clients down to the, the community center to have like a, a small group meeting mm-hmm. to have a different aspect. Or maybe they have some legal issues and I can't give legal advice, but, you know, this is how I can help you. Like, this is the direction you need to go. Or if you're on you're parole, to to yeah, yep. Yep. Um, providing services. And it just it just blossomed after that. So... Now going, are you dressed as you are now? Your class, class A, you used to call it? Um, when you go to these meetings? If, if, I, if I'm going to, um, let's say if I'm going inside behind the walls of Conifer Park and, you know, when I went, I was in class B's. I was in okay. the polo shirt, but they knew I was a police officer. But it kind of gives that casual. Yeah, they know who I am and they know what I do. But there's a different side of the job. I mean, this this outfit is more um, grabs your attention more. Maybe mm-hmm. for them, probably more intimidating than mm-hmm. rolling in like that. So um, now, is that? Do you go into like a meeting like that? Is that considered like a safe space in the sense of? I'm, I'm sure you go in, and for them to open up, is there stuff that you know 
if they were to say that stuff outside of that space, would mm-hmm. that have been troubling, troublesome for them? Or like you said, maybe it's information that they divulge. It's almost like going to confession when you go to church. Right, like right. you tell the yep. priest something that like yep. you may not want anybody else to know, but that's, do you find that it's kind of like a confession thing? And then, um, and then once you leave the doors, it's kind of like, we're just going to leave what was said here. Cause this is kind of your space to whether it's recovery, whether it's, you know, yep. try to find, you know, help or a shining light kind of deal. Yep. So there's, I have to sign waivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the clients also have to sign waivers that they're given permission for to have this discussion because it's confidential and you get into HIPAA and, and things like that. So, um, and the conversation could go anywhere from, you know, needing a place to stay to, um, a hundred days sober to, how can I get my kids back to, I hated the life that I lived. Um, so we, we talk about a lot of things and unless they're a threat to themselves or somebody else, obviously if, if I'm in a meeting with somebody and they say, when I leave here, I'm going to harm myself, I, I have to take action. Yeah. Um, and, and I explained that in the beginning. Um, but if somebody said, you know, I was sober for a hundred days and last night I, I was overly stressed because I lost my mom and I ended up, you know, using, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say, well, you know, that's illegal and, um, I'm going to get a statement from you and we're going to charge you for it. That's not how it works. It's, yeah. we're going to have an open dialogue and we're going to build trust. And that trust, you find that the dialogue now is going deeper and deeper, and, and oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. There, um, I got a referral, and believe it or not, I get referrals from people with the, you know, that work with people with addiction to come down and talk to me. And just two weeks ago, I got a referral, um, of a twenty-five-year-old that, you know, has. The mentality of like maybe a 13 year old and during covid wasn't at work um because they were closed at the time and so he spent a lot of time at home um he just moved away from his parents um his parents are very concerned about him because when he got bored, he started playing on the computer and searching things and adult material. And he thought he saw something that, you know, you got to think if it's a mentality of a 13-year-old. A he, he thought he saw something that may have been illegal as far as age. And he was so worried about it and worked up over it for two months every day and every night and didn't sleep and constantly, like reaching out to his parents and didn't know what to do and I was going into depression and paranoia and all this stuff and I was referred his mom said go down and speak to officer miller so when it comes to like adult material if you're watching it every day you get there's an addiction right mm-hmm. I, I'm some people have never heard of it but yes there is an addiction mm-hmm. regarding you know it I don't know if people will laugh or whatever, but you know, porn addiction, it's, it's, an, well, that's what it is. I mean, it's porn it, addiction. Yeah, yeah. It's an addiction. So, but he was so worked up, thought that he was going to be put in prison. And, um, so when I spoke to mom on the phone, she was so concerned about him. Like, I, I can't even, unless she was here and expressed how the concern, how much concern she had for her, her son, 
And I said, I would like to meet with you. She said, if you could give me some of your time and help him, it would be wonderful. So we met later that day and he came down and he was very forthcoming. He showed me his phone, what site he was on. I saw a disclaimer at the bottom that, you know, all models are 18 or older. Mm -hmm. Told him to screenshot it. That's going to make him feel a little more at ease. Mm -hmm. If you're 18 or older, you're an adult. Mm -hmm. um, and then he had a lot of questions that I answered and um, I put him at ease and he almost like just fell in his chair. The weight just lifted. And he did. He said, I feel so much lighter. And he said, mm -hmm. I, I just want you to know that you saved my life. He said, before I came here, before I met with my mother to come here to speak to you, I wanted to kill myself. Yeah. I was trying to find a way that I was going to do it today. You saved my life. He started crying. Wow. Mom started crying. And um, I got choked up. Yeah. I mean, how can you not? Yeah. How can you not? And I checked on him uh, less than a week later, and he's doing much better and you know, able to go on with his life. And it's just things like that, that the stories that you don't hear about that, that go on in the community center. Do, do you find that... Do you have reoccurring relationships with some people if you feel like they need like the check-in or like you said, if he feels the trust in you and it's like, okay, you know, Officer Miller was someone that helped me at a certain time, mm -hmm. you know, just like a periodic every couple of weeks or every month, every, you know, few days, depending on the situation. Like, hey man, you're doing good? Like, can you yeah, come down and yeah, talk? Do you want to, Yeah, you know? absolutely. And some of them I befriend and, you know, I can tell you right off the bat, um, I know you said I could swear on here. <laughs> I'm trying to, but listen, I... I was working the beat one night and it was busy and we were having some some issues with fights and territories and drugs and all that stuff and you wouldn't think in Plattsburgh, New York, but um it was just myself and my partner at the time and all of a sudden a large fight broke out near the monopole, like in the parking lot back there. Mm -hmm. I heard a scuffle and um, you have to be on high alert all the time. And so we go running down the, the alley. It's dark. It's two o'clock in the morning. Um, eight or nine guys going at it. You see five guys with one percenter patches on their, they call it their cut, um, which is a, is that the, a like term the, for the, the best. Yeah. Okay. The, no, the one percenter is a one percenter patch. 99% of motorcyclists are law-abiding citizens. There's uh -huh. the one percentage. This is like the arch. Are they uh, the Hell's Angels? Hell's Angels, yeah. outlaws, uh, up here's uneasy riders. Okay. Um, you know, so there's there's so many one percenters, but there's so little population of motorcyclists that are one percenters. You know, it's people say, oh, they're gangs, drugs, guns, girls. You know, mm -hmm. that's what they work with, um, and. They were actually fighting people that were Russian. This is Plattsburgh, New York. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, so uh, there's half a mile away, a mile away. Yeah. There's yeah. there's there's two officers and there's nine guys. I don't think one guy was under six foot. Um, of course, I took the biggest, baddest. I mean, this guy was a badass. And when I took him off, do you arrest all nine guys? With, with two pair of handcuffs, mm -hmm. or if you're lucky, maybe three pair mm -hmm. of handcuffs, and two guys that are physically fighting, or do you split it up 
you maintain the peace and you, you speak to somebody in the group. Well, I happen to pick the sergeant of arms. Sergeant of arms is a guy that if you need something done, you know, or heads are rolling, it's TCOB. It's taking care of business. That's the sergeant of arms. Mm-hmm. Has it on his so he, on he's the leader. He's, the, he's, he's top. Well, there's your, your president, your vice president. But the sergeant of arms is like the guy that, you know. He's like the COO of the company. Or CEO of like the. Uh, like, let me let me put it to this way. Terms. He's like, you know, you have generals and, and, and you know, uh, lieutenants and stuff like that. The sergeant of arms would be the guy where if somebody's mouthing off or somebody's screwed them over or, you know, somebody needs a, a good talking to. You bring the sergeant of arms. He's the enforcer. Um, yeah. So that would be a good way to put it. He's like it. a hockey enforcer. He's going he's gonna to go yes. into the penalty box. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, okay. he's a guy with no teeth and yeah. all, tattoos. And, you know. um, but here's, here's this guy. And, and once I pulled him off, he assumed the position. He turned around and he put his hands behind his back. And I turned him back around so we're face to face. And he looked at me like, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to talk to you like a man. And he didn't know what to say. And he's like, what? You're not going to cuff me and take me in and book me? I said, no. I want to know what the hell happened. And he looked at me like he had never, ever heard that, that before. We ended up having a pretty lengthy conversation. We were able to maintain the peace. The Russians ran away. I don't think they wanted to get arrested. Um, but since that day him and i are are pretty close like he comes down in the community center he had some issues with addiction when i say issues i'm talking about in his 30s he had three heart attacks and a stroke because of his issues okay um he was going to lose his his family his home his job his life and the life that he lived so Next time I saw him, we would have another little talk. It's just him and I. We'd pull off to the side. We'd have a talk. Then you have that stigma with bikers, one percenters, outlaws. Then you have the stigma with the police. You know, all those effing pigs and Mm -hmm. all those outlaw bikers and, you know, those criminals or whatever you want to call them. But you know what? I Sometimes you have to see through. That's why I wish people would see through a police officer's uniform to realize there's a, there's a heart mm-hmm. and there's a soul and there's a mind behind it. And that's how or a community member like you. Yeah. Like yeah. So I, I tried to, you know, not like he was a wounded bird or something, but I tried to talk to him, um, a little bit of time one-on-one. And he was very like, he said, I don't know what it is, man, but I feel like I can talk to you. I said, anytime, anytime we started calling each other brother, mm-hmm. you know, so a month or so goes by, I have a new recruit with me. I'm a field training officer. New recruit sitting in the car. We're on the, we call it the Diamond. It's right downtown where Shabooms used to be. I don't know if you remember that That's area. I, Bogarts. Is that before your time? Oh, right down here. Yeah, right in the yeah. corner, like a bridge yep. in Margaret Street. Yep. So Ashley's Furniture's there. It used yeah. to be Bogarts, okay. another bar. And then uh, oh, the, up on the roof there. Yes. Was okay. yes. Before yes. my time, but I, yeah, I yeah. So there was there was more establishments downtown as far as like drinking establishments at the time. It was pretty busy, and I had the the rookie with me, and there was 
five five patch members outlaw bikers and the same group and they're standing on the corner and you know a lot has been going on with some controversy some fighting all that stuff but somebody that i befriended was in there mm-hmm. and um I, I said to the rookie i said see those guys over there look at their patches this is what one percent patch means this is what this patch means and that patch this is their rocker panels like everything means something on their patch and um he's like how do you know all this stuff i said well i done i know some people and you know i did my research and he's like oh he goes they look like some badasses mm-hmm. and i said well they are um i said we're gonna break them up right now and he's like we're gonna what i said we're gonna get out of the car and we're going to go over there and we're going to break up the group. And you hear this lump in his throat. The kid could barely swallow. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get out of the car. And I see my new buddy in the center. And, and he's got his group with him. And I'm a police officer. That, so they're like, oh, shit, it's the cops, you they're know? Yeah. yeah. And their head's on a swivel, too. So when I go up there, I, I said, you... And he turns around and we look at each other and then we confront each other and give each other a brotherly handshake and then a big hug. Mm-hmm. I got this rookie looking at me with his jaw dropped on the, <laughs> on the ground and wiping the sweat off his brow like, whew. And then he's got the guys that are part of the club. Head spinning. That are looking like, yeah. what the hell, man? He, that, that's a pig, you know? Mm-hmm. That's 5-0. That's, you know. And... um we there ended up being a mutual respect for one another um the next time i saw them there were some other issues going on but when somebody like him tells me if hey if you need anything we got your back now you've gotten into that that trust factor right and the other guys were like he goes man and they said no i'm telling you like this this is different like you know um and and it meant a lot to me. And and when I walked by, I said, "Listen, I'll trade my colors for yours, for two weeks." Like I, they had a a roundtable meeting, and they brought that comment up. Hey, this cop man said he traded his colors for ours, you know, for two weeks because of all the shit that they go through. And you know, then you end up uh, learning about each other, mm-hmm. you know, and realizing. And to this day, he still comes out of the community center. We have coffee. I shoot him a text. I got him involved in uh, the Spark meetings. Um, he wants to become a recovery coach. He's been clean and sober. Um, he tells me I saved his life. I tell him that you're the one that decided that you needed help. It's up to you. So, so someone like this, like what? How did? How do you? Did he get involved in this through, through like you said, addiction? Through like kind of getting with the the crowd that he was a part of because yeah, of this? Yeah, I, I, you know, without going into detail, he was involved in some issues as a child in his life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that would be traumatic. And he he was looking for that brotherhood. Some people find it in policing, you know. And some people find it in um, gangs or clubs. And that's where he... The similar background, similar situation experience. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, that rebel mentality. I'm a renegade, um, you know... I ain't, I ain't afraid of anything kind of thing. So he got into that, that life and, 
realized that he needed to, after years, he needed to get out of it, not only to save his life, but to save his family. Do you find that you kind of, again, be, you talked about you know bridging the uh, bridging gaps and building relationships. Yes. You doing that, like basically was like, hey, here's here's the bridge for you to pull out of that life into this mm-hmm. life, and thinking that it might be something that he always wanted deep down, and that you were just the one that possibly showed up at the right time, and almost made it okay for him, or or gave him like you said the the uh, the trust in you that mm-hmm. I can't do this, and I can't, and I have I have a friend on the other side to kind of pull me out of this. Yep. Yeah, he he went off the grid for a while because of obvious reasons of what type of life he was involved in, um, but to make it right for him and his family. And then I ran into him, and he looked a lot different. And um, and ever since we reunited, it's we keep in touch with each other. I have a uh, people on our community board, and those little kind of like Polaroid shots, but they're the little mini ones. Yeah. And so I try to get pictures of people in the community that have come down and, and, uh, I asked him if, is it, do you mind, man, if I get a picture of you and he's got this nice ride, it's an old classic and you know, it's all black and he's always wearing black t-shirts and jeans and he's got tattoos on the knuckles and the neck and you know, the whole nine yards, you know, and big guy, um, He's like, yeah, man, yeah, anything for you. Took a picture of him, and I said, I usually like to put a little comment, not only who you are, but maybe what you're about, because it's I only have this much room, yeah. right, on the little snapshots. It's little, little cute Polaroids, I guess. And uh, he's like, I don't know, man. I don't, Can you think of something? I said, yeah, I can. So I started writing on a little picture with my marker, and he said, would you call me? I said, I called you second chance. Yeah. You know, and he, uh, it just chokes me up right now because he, you know, he got choked up and, you know, we gave each other a hug and it's just, those are type of relationships that you, not only are you proud to have, but you build upon. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, one of of his guys had a warrant out for his arrest and anti-police, violent, and, you know, when he was in the club and we had already, apparently I had this reputation with, with people in the, in the club and, and, uh, he didn't want to talk to any effing mm-hmm. pigs is what we were referred to. And then he heard I was on the other side of the door and I told him who I was and he said that I'd be the only one that he would talk to. So I was able to go in talk to him tell him i don't want this to go the other way um let me take him into custody let's take care of his warrant and uh see if we can get him some help Mm -hmm. and nobody got hurt and uh you know to make that kind of impact is just you you can't you can't put a dollar value on it you really can't no i mean it's again i have no no relationship at all with the, you know, in the police in the sense I've never been in law enforcement, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same thing. And, you know, I'd say there's a parallel to business in that, you know, relationships that you meet that seem, seem insignificant at the time or small mm-hmm. things, they could have an impact down the road. Mm-hmm. And, and there's plenty of times in my career, this has come up where something's happened, typically a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it happened because of something you did 
months, years ago. It could have even just been a smile, a small, small mm-hmm. conversation, helping them out. Maybe something that you just kind of like you with the, um, the gentleman with the uh, sub, like just doing something that you didn't have to do, but mm-hmm. just like, Hey, helping someone out, helping it, you know, another human out. Yep. Then it comes back tenfold and you're just like, I'm, honestly, I forgot all about that, but you made an mm-hmm. impact. And I think, I think the stuff that you're doing one, it's needed, but I think as you, this, I mean, it's been going for two years. So it's like, as this builds it, and I call it, in our business, I call it like the snowball effect mm-hmm. that like you, you know, November of 2018, like you were handed a snowflake and you rolled it once and then mm-hmm. you rolled it twice. And now you're starting to build up a little bit of snowball. And then as yeah. you keep going, it grows and grows. And I think every year, every connection that you make is going to, is kind of has that spider web effect. Yep. Like with this gentleman that you just talked about, like mm-hmm. you met, you know, your, your, you know, the brother, the, the friend that you had. And then mm-hmm. that led to this thing that had you never made that this never would happen that yep. could have escalated to something terrible yeah um and i think there's a lot of stuff that you're probably doing now that you might be aware of or not aware of which i think every year it's gonna just keep showing itself and like my god just because i met mm-hmm. that guy because i met that guy because i met this girl and that and then yep. these opportunities just keep building and building and building and again i think the the like 2020 i mean cops made a lot of headlines for the wrong reasons yep. and it was unfortunately cops were generalized in 2020 mm-hmm. where if I think people looked at, like you said, the 99% of plus percent of cops mm-hmm. are community members that are good people that are right. trying. And I, you know, you saw stuff in, you know, 2020 with good showing of cops and cops reaching out and said, Hey, you guys want to march and do it? Let's go. Like, yep. let's do this thing. Yep. And not, not us versus them, but like, yes, this is stuff that we have and I'm against, you know, what happened here and what happened there. And that's mm-hmm. not how I conduct myself or our department conducts ourselves. And I think the, you know, for whatever, issue that people had in the spike of like defund police and we hate on police and everything mm-hmm. else there's still police have go back in history have always been a community member i always you know it's obviously a you know a show but like the andy griffith show i just remember right. like i always yeah. think like you know back in the day you know andy and barney and like they they were just community members they'd go in and get their hair cut and they'd go down to the store and they'd be sitting at the diner and they were just people that you know if you needed them they were there for a resource but they weren't you know mm-hmm. they, they were community members and right. like hey i i can help that's like I sell real estate, you sell. You're, you're not sell, but you, you're a cop. We're all mm-hmm. in the community. We just have right. different jobs, but right. we're all trying to better our community. Um, I just think the stuff you're doing is, you know, it's needed. And I just think you're like having you know kind of t- heard you talk. It's like I think your mannerisms, I think the way you conduct yourself, I think mm-hmm. um, your background. You know, mm-hmm. you have. It's not. I'll be honest. I don't have the background that you had. Like mm-hmm. that. That puts me as a. You know, I would say you know, a level of non or disqualification of some of the stuff that you can deal with just because mm-hmm. I don't, I've never lived through it. And it, mm-hmm. like, I think you have the, you know, you can be empathetic to somebody dealing with a broken home or dealing with, you know, yes. abuse or dealing with yeah. stuff that to me, even hearing you say stuff, I'm, I'm aware it exists, but hearing mm-hmm. you tell stories, it's like, God damn, like I, I'm not even like, it's eye opening for me. And I'm kind of like getting choked up listening to some of these stories that are happening. Right. Like in the, in a couple mile radius of where we're at now. Yeah. And, um, I want to jump into some of the charity work that you guys have done too, mm-hmm. because I know it's not, you know, substance abuse and mental health, but you do a lot of just, you know, I know you guys did the clothing drive. I know you did, um, you did some stuff. I, and I want you to dive into it. Some of the stuff you were doing for, uh, around Christmas time. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> those, every time I either talk about it or watch the video, I don't know if you've seen the news clips, but, um, Kelly O'Brien from channel three news, 
did such a fantastic job on the first uh, Christmas event that we had. It was, uh, I called it police presence, as in gifts. Um, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. And, um, you know, working with the, the, the types of people that I've been able to connect with and um, I reached out to a friend of mine, John Bernardi of the United Way, and this was a couple weeks before Christmas, and I said, John, I want to do something, you know, have our department do something, the community center, and then maybe partner with some people in the community. Can you think of anybody right offhand that would be in desperate need? He snapped his fingers, Regina Agony. I don't know if you know this story, but... Um, and I don't want to get too lengthy. Uh, I know you only have so much time, yeah. but, um, so Regina Agony, um, she in her sixties, husband was, uh, around 70, I believe they had two great grandchildren that, um, were biracial and, they had lost their mom to addiction, as in she's still alive, but she chose addiction over her kids, mm-hmm. moved to Albany to help her addiction, uh, to help feed her addiction, I, I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and dad was incarcerated. So they knew that their great-grandchildren didn't have a good life and nowhere to go. So instead of ending up in foster care and splitting up, they're 6 and 11 years of age. It's a tough time, right? Um, mom abandoned them. Dad was incarcerated. So I said, do you think she'll mind if I reach out to her? He says, no, not at all. Says, Here's her phone number. So I start talking to her on the phone. And... She told me that she wanted to get full custody of the kids, and that's a process, right? Adopting them, and and her and her husband got together and said, if we do this together, if we're partners and we we can raise these children, they can have a better place than they would have ever had. So they both agreed. Um, her husband was in the military, and then he sold vegetables down at the um, farmer's market for 22 years. A couple weeks before Christmas, he had passed away. So now she's on her own. Thinks she's going to lose her house, her car, the boys. Like, what's going to happen? Um, again, desperate times cause for desperate measures. You could hear it in her voice. Um, so I wanted to meet with her. I was telling her what I was trying to do. was I was trying to help somebody in need. to make the situation better for them for the holidays. And I said, there's a thing called shop with a cop where, you know, I've seen sheriff's department do it and stuff where they, it's a nice gesture, but there's police officers in uniforms and they're taking these kids shopping and they could, you know, several weeks before Christmas, taking these kids shopping, they could load up the carts with whatever they want, go to the register, and who's paying at the register? They see a police officer paying. Well, who looks like the hero then? Mm-hmm. 
right? The police officer. So I wanted to do something totally different. I wanted to call it police presence, as in gifts. And also, we're there, but we're not going to sit there and try to be the hero. So what I did was I took her shopping for the boys. I didn't take the boy shopping and saying, oh, I'm going to spend all this money for you and you're going to have gifts before Christmas and then your great-grandmother who doesn't have two nickels to rub together, mm. you know, who's not able to get anything when it's Christmas morning, there'll be nothing under the tree. So, um, you know, again, it's about helping people in need. And um, she was... She kept saying, well, it's too much, it's too much, it's too much. I said, don't worry about it. We teamed up with Walmart. I mean, you know, largest corporation in, in the country, if not the world. Um, maybe besides Amazon, but... Um, it's up there. Yeah, it's yeah. it's up there. Um, you know, because there are people that work for the one of the largest corporations and successful businesses in the entire world that are people, and they're people of our community. And they might be people in despair and people with addiction and people with mental illness. So there are people in our community. And when I reached out to um, the managers at Walmart, uh, Floyd Bump and uh, Danielle, Floyd, unfortunately, uh, at 34 years old, was diagnosed with stage four cancer and he passed away. And he was so involved in our community. I, And that's another story that... that and I don't know if we'll have time to get back to that, but if you tell me Floyd Blump, I'd like to get back to him. But um, that's that's an incredible story too. So there's just so many so many stories to talk about. And when I do presentations, a lot of times I don't have time to actually explain this in uh, further detail. But um, so I brought Regina Agony to Walmart. Uh, the Plattsburgh Police Department contributed. Uh, Walmart contributed. And we took her shopping, and I told her to bring a list. Kelly O'Brien heard about the story and said, you know, what is this that you're doing? Can I be a part of it? She ended up getting the um, the journalism award. It's not Moosin's award. What is it? Mural Award in Journalism, which is the most prestigious award you could get um, and best story of the year for this story so if you haven't seen it i'd suggest yeah um if you type in police presence police presence or uh plattsburgh police department um wcax it might pop up but or if you wanted to after i can show it to you but um it's it was very well done and um it it did let people know the meaning behind it so after we went shopping, she brought the list. We filled up two shopping carts with all kinds of things, not just, you know, expensive toys, clothes and things that they need. And um, I asked her after we uh, finished shopping, I said, would you like me to bring these down and wrap them or would you like to bring them home? She requested to bring them home and wrap them. And I respected that. Mm-hmm. She brought them home. She wrapped them so the kids could have some. She was thinking about the kids, not about herself. Um, that being said, I teamed up with Amanda Allen from NAMI because she knew the family. And I said, is there a way we can get the kids for a couple hours? She says, she goes, yeah, what are you thinking? I said, I think we should take the kids shopping for their great-grandmother. Because mm-hmm. I know 
being poor and growing up and being, you know, 13, 14 years old, I felt bad for my mom, single mom, busting her ass, working 60 hours a week, minimum wage, $3.15 an hour, not getting any child support, not going on the system as far as any services, um, refused to like collect food stamps. So, you know, she had a lot of pride and she didn't want to, she didn't want to do that. So, um, we were able to get the kids. We went shopping for a couple hours. And when the young one, um, six years old goes right for a $200 Keurig, I'm like, he's thinking about his, his great grandmother. He's not thinking he's being selfish. And I'm like, go ahead, buddy, throw it in there. You know, um, you know, just, just picking him up and placing him in the cart and being in full uniform and just having that type of, you know, relationship and bond. And to this day, when I see them or they come down for, you know, events down at the community center, we give each other a high five or fist pumps and stuff. And, um, so we ended up taking them shop shopping for the great grandmother. And so the great grandmother didn't even know, and we didn't want them to bring the unwrap wrapped gifts to the house. So we brought them to the community center and I've got so many wonderful pictures of, uh, the kids, uh, helping me, yeah. helping me wrap the, the, all the, the gifts and the smiles on their faces after all that they've been through. And they sent me pictures of, uh, Christmas morning yeah. and it was, it was great. But what further tied me into this, I found out through having discussions with Regina that six months prior, I responded to a physical domestic violence incident. And on my arrival, you could tell something happened. The male subject was gone, fled on foot. The two kids were there. These two kids. I didn't know that at the time. And not until we started talking when she said, you probably know their mother. Well, yeah, because I'm the one who responded, got her to safety in a safe house and charged the the uh he wasn't the father the kids the gentleman the gentleman in the in the life at the time had beat her up and choked her in front of the kids this is the kind of life that these kids are living you know so he was on parole he had shot one of his exes in the leg before because she was going to call the police so there's the fear factor right Mm -hmm. um so it ended up being even a more uh, emotional story because I was involved with the same two kids and t- was able to take them out of that home, that abuse, abusive yeah, home. Wow. Yeah. So, well, we're, yeah, I always yeah. tell people we're actually in a train, yeah. like we're outside the train <laughs> station. So the, uh, the Amtrak, uh, this is actually a cargo train, but I'm a light sleeper. I can't imagine sleeping third, next to that. So, kind of a little little divert here why I'm talking so it's not that great of a story but when I grew up I grew up on a tra- uh, train track and this is uh, probably slightly farther but not much farther than this uh-huh. and then having this and now working here is like full circle like I've always been near a train so like trains yeah. like it's like white noise to me it makes it a little more difficult talking so I'm yes. like screaming in so if you guys are like I don't know loud probably going a little too high in the decibels but um, I can sleep through anything I'm a very deep sleeper and I always tell people the worst part about growing up was you had to turn the TV up to hear that. That's it. Like, it was just yeah. like white noise. Like, if yeah. you had the TV on, you were reading a book, you didn't even pay attention to it. 
I'm so. very envious of people that can fall asleep quickly and Stay they asleep. can go into deep sleep. As I said, with, with the, uh, and unfortunately, this is not an Amtrak. So Amtrak usually whiz by in about a couple seconds. This is nice, slow. This is the one that you, uh, you cringe at when you get behind on the road. And the thing, the thing comes down and just sit down. I'm going to be three minutes, yeah. four, five minutes Let me late. put a different perspective on it. Be in a police car and you have an emergency and you need to get to the other side. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. I was going to say, they're, they're not stopping for the lights. So. No, we usually have to reroute and find a different way. And, um, so, okay, so, so go back. So um, the two boys, Regina... I mean, was that yeah it was, you know that it puts it more into perspective of what they as children had to go through in life and it it made that even more special um you know and to see the pictures back and then the story that that Kelly O'Brien did was was awesome it was it was done so well that the following year instead of calling it police presence 2 or you know just involving the police and and Walmart, I wanted to, to have more members of the community involved, so I called it a community Christmas. And asking for donations, and it was very, it's kind of eye-opening, because there were, you know, I was telling you about Ernie Galarza, the Della Group, you know, he rounded up his staff and told them what it was about and said we need to support this and collected money and he handed me an envelope with six hundred eleven dollars in it uh on tisha as mm-hmm. you as i yeah. know you know yeah. uh, community bank um they contributed five hundred dollars for it um you know Osable forks volunteer fire department they contributed um our plattsburgh police union contributed so we were getting a lot more people involved, uh, which is the way it should be. And it makes them feel good. And there were, you know, people, average citizens coming down saying, I'd like to, can I help? Mm-hmm. Can I drop off toys? Um, can I give you $50? Can, you know, and it got to a point where I had several thousand dollars. And I said, you know what? We can help more than one family. We can help more than two families. Mm-hmm. We ended up helping like five or six families and like 15 kids and there were some that were left over that i took one of my youth explorers because i like to see them get involved in community work um we went up there with quite a bit of cash and this was i think it was christmas eve or on the 20 december 23rd there's all kinds of people trying to shop and get things for christmas so we decided we were going to sit back and watch for a little bit and see who may be you know because they have old worn out sneakers with holes in it or an elderly couple that was trying to get gifts for their grandchildren but they're going through their list and they are putting things back Mm -hmm. so we would step up to the plate be behind them in the register and say i would like to pay that for you and they were kind of in shock like you know, and then there was another family with two kids, and it looks like their clothes didn't fit, you know, the way that they should. They looked like they were a little dirty, and they didn't have much, and they had a lot of, you know, food items and things in their cart, and um, a couple items of clothes, and uh, maybe a few, a few things that might be like Christmas gifts. And we stepped in and said we'd like to pay that, pay for that. And at first we we're like, well, what's the catch? 
Well, there is no catch. We're just trying to help people. And I would tell them this is part of a community Christmas. So people in the community got together and they want to help people uh, during the holidays. And it was, it was awesome. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, one of the things that like the last couple of years I've gotten more involved, um, you know, in trying to talk to people with, with charity and stuff. And it, mm-hmm. I think it's just one where you see people, there's a level of gratitude you have in your own life where it's like, luckily I just, I, I grew up without having a lot of challenges that most people face. Mm-hmm. But then when you start learning about the challenges that people face and it is a lot of it's heartbreaking, especially, like I said, I have three young children. So to see anything involving kids is kind of the one where it's like, that really hits me. And I had, um, Nancy McDowell was on the other, other day and she was talking about, um, you know, care for seniors because her, you know, cause her, um, mother at this time is, you know, in that realm and they have, they need help and how like, so it's always kind of like what you're exposed to. So now being exposed more to like, you know, parenting kids, that's where like, like Christmas, the like kids, they don't have stuff for Christmas. And it like just breaks your heart because like you try to provide, at least as a parent, you try to provide what you can for your child, knowing some, some can't, they have to, you know, right. have to pay rent, they have to pay for food. They can't pot, they can't buy, you know, or splurge on something that, you know, a kid, you know, as they should come to expect on Christmas, just because they're a kid, they're naive, they're, you know, they're naive, they're, 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 you know, Santa's coming and, and, you know, and it's heartbreaking thing as a parent, knowing you can't provide that experience for the kid and that mm-hmm. these people stepping up. And, um, like I said, we've, I mean, it's, we still got this poster board here, but like we've, we've done this yeah. golf tournament. We've done it for two years. So it's just kind of on a whim, fun thing between me and a, and a buddy of mine. And then, so the first year we raised a couple, a couple grand in two weeks mm-hmm. to give to JCO and uh and united way and then last year you know we had fun doing it so we mm-hmm. had a bunch of friends and we ended yep. up getting up to 12 players and we ended up raising over five thousand dollars yeah you know in, in a very grassroots kind of like support this is what it's going to mm-hmm. um you know went to the backpack program at united way for right. you know, funds they would do for kids and it's kind of one like there, there's a lot of it feels good to give back, but I think a lot of it is not the the feeling that you give. It's just it's more of like I want to give that to you. Like I think you mm-hmm. it's not like I think you're someone that will give, um, and I think you you know obviously you feel a level of satisfaction, but you don't do it for your own benefit. You do it for like hey, I want you to experience something that mm-hmm. you probably you know it's gonna be hard for you to experience right now, and it's not you know and. You know, I think a lot of people don't want to ask for help, and, it, and sometimes they may not want to ask you. But yeah. I think if it was given to them, and they, you know, they kind of, I think, would accept it, knowing that it's coming from a good place, and for the, and like you said, no catch. It's just like, yeah. hey, let's just try to make this experience better than it probably was going to be for you. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, like I said, it's just people need bright spots, bright uh, spots in life, and that you know, even if it's, you know, it's just something that one little extra thing that goes a long ways. And like for you guys. You know, as police to, you know, still prominent uh, members of any community. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, you, you guys walk around, and not many people walk around in you know uniform. Mm-hmm. You know, in the community. You right. know, and I think the cops are always going to have that. You know, they're always going to have that perception, not not good or bad, but they're always going to have perception of that's a cop. Like you're going to pick out a cop before you're going to pick anybody else. Out. Right. I mean, right. you can pick cop cars out on the side of the road. Right. Because, and that's why they have uniforms and, you know, to, to identify people that are yeah, and, police and, officers. And so. I think if people can get over that and say, that's an, a friend or an ally, yeah. not, yeah. Hey, that's, I got to avoid that guy. And I think, and I think you're doing that. And I think it's, 
know, it's kind of the reason I wanted to bring you on. And, and some of the stuff, I'll be honest, you went above and beyond anything I even expected. I was like, I knew you did this and you did that. And when you start diving yeah. into it, it's like, you know, your role in the community center just keeps growing and growing. And I think the relationships you guys are building, like you said, with United Way or whether it be with, you know, the uh, community. And I think you did the clothes drive down just down the road here, right? Yep. One- yes. We were actually approached by uh, David Yoakum of the uh, Community Service Projects of the North Country. And uh, they wanted to do a food drive, but he wasn't quite sure how to go about it. And, you know, I have a lot of contacts and connections. And I said, I, you know, I could help you out. And um, ended up placing food bins from Aldi's to United Way to the community center and the Plattsburgh Police Department. Um down at uh the city well chapter one like i mean there i had them maybe 10 of them out there and people just kept giving and people got on board social media can be a great thing it can be a positive thing and when you announce something like that people want to get involved and for me that not only helping the people that you're trying to help but getting people involved so they can feel better about what they're doing and trying to make a difference um, is also rewarding. So, you know, then the, the um, Stafford and Renane Law Office was like, well, we want to donate 20 turkeys. You know, they weren't, I didn't give them a bin of food, but they they wanted to, uh, to donate because they saw what was on social media. Like, oh, we want to be a part of that. You know, the Della Auto Group, they bins and bins and boxes of food. Um, that I picked up, you know, several times, car loads, and bring them down to the uh, Awakening Remnant Church on Bridge Street, you know, with uh, G- uh, Pastor Jimmy Canales and Whitney. And Whitney, yeah. yes. And good people. You yeah, know? great. Um, so it's, it, it's one of those things, if you, if you can bring people together uh, for a greater cause and for the better interest of our community, uh, you, you can't get better. In my eyes, you can't get better than that. So it's well, I, I use a lot of the, the, the term local matters, and I like to have a lot of people that are doing stuff in the community. And it's, it's, I'll be honest, I don't know how many people have done more local matters than I think you have. And I think, um, and you guys are continuing to do. And I think a lot of it, like you said, is going deeper than, than just whether it's a check cut to an organization, right. it's like you're, you're donating time, you're donating resources, you're yep. donating advice, you're donating your experience, you're donating. Um, and for a lot of these leadership, for a lot of mm-hmm. these people, like if they don't have, I have nobody to turn to. I don't have, you know, I don't have a mentor. I don't have a, you know, someone that can help me out of this, you know, situation I'm in. Mm-hmm. You step to the plate and going above and beyond, going in like into groups that, hey, I was looked at a bad guy. I'm now gonna, you know, I want to step across the mm-hmm. that 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 stigma or that divide and yep. said bridge that gap. Um, I, I think it's I, just absolutely fascinating. The for for time and to be respectful <laughs> of your time too. Do you do you want to talk about your Floyd story? Um, so just real quick, when the community center first opened up, you you want to be able to partner with people, right? Because if you try to do it on your own, uh, you know. I just have a platform to be able to do it for through the Plattsburgh Police Department and for the police department, which is in turn for the community. So there's a lot of great men and women in the department that, you know, hands down, I wouldn't want to work with anybody else. And the things that they experience on a a daily basis and have to take with them at home and um, is, you know, I, I appreciate like, 
still what they continue to do. I play a little different role now and I can give my experience and stuff. But um, if I didn't have this platform, it would be so tough to do it, you know, to be honest. Like you would go from one call to the next call to the next call. And well, this allows you, you focus. Yeah, this yeah. allows yeah, and spend that time to sit here with you and, and do an interview and, you know, be on this podcast. But um, so in the beginning, I wanted to team up with not only local businesses but maybe let's face it there's more money in larger corporations right so you know walmart sometimes gets a bad rap and i was actually a a loss prevention officer corporate investigator there before i uh, came to the plasma police department and um they had different management there so it's not like i i knew who it was because i've been on the job for already 16 17 years so um i went to walmart and i asked to speak to the manager i'm in full uniform and um the manager comes up and looks at me and said "Uh oh like am i in trouble and i said no you're not i just wanted to right off the bat let him know and i said do you mind if i talk to you for a few minutes and uh so he brought me in this office and there were a couple employees in there and he said do you want them to leave and i said Oh, if you don't mind, I'd like it to be a private conversation. And he kind of got a lump in his throat. And um, I said, listen, this is who I am. I work for the Plastic Police Department. This is We opened up a community center. This is what we want to do. We want to do hold community events. We want to get people involved. All I had to say was, before I go to Target, I wanted to stop here and talk to you. He said, you're not leaving. He told me, you are not going anywhere until you tell me that we're involved in this. And it just, it, the support has been incredible. So we had a Coloring with a Cop event. They brought down not just crayons and sketch pads and coloring books, but they brought uh, children's bicycles for a free raffle, like donated them. They brought helmets. They bought uh, drinks and snacks. And like, it was like, a kid's Christmas, it you know, and people came together of all different races and nationalities and doesn't matter what political side you're on or how much money you made. Like people came together and it was it was a great thing. And then we just built from there and they wanted to get involved in anything that, you know, uh, they they have community grants that they give and they allowed me to apply for a community grant and it was no hesitation you know, I found out usually within a day or two um, whether it was accepted, and I was told not to worry. So Floyd, who was 34 years old, was, you know, very active, wanted to find a way, uh, a channel, an outlet to give back to the community, but they didn't know how, other than be Walmart, other than be a manager at Walmart. Here we go again. Um. This this one sounds like an Amtrak, so this one should blow by pretty fast. I said, well, the, the problem is too. Obviously, the road right here, so they got a hunk, you know, as they're going by. So yeah. usually, the worst is they go in the morning sometimes. If I'm here early, no, I'm live. It is uh, another Canadian Pacific. The uh, when so usually they go on, especially when it's early in the morning. Like I've been here at like six, seven o'clock in the morning, and they're just sitting there ripping on this thing. I'm like, dude, I'm like. Like, had my first sip of coffee. I'm like, I'm not fully awake, and it's just they're they're cranking on that thing. So it's yeah. uh, yeah, it's I don't know. 
Come on, kind of looks like the same train. It just turned around and came back. <laughs> reverse it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, for the longest time these weren't even go like a lot of these weren't going because of COVID and the border restrictions. So it right. was really quiet here. And yep. Amtrak, I think, just started picking back up. Um, and it's it's kind of cool. The good thing is I used so I used to be down on the on the track side, <laughs> and uh, I, I had uh, another guy, Andy Lamanto, who was actually up you know across the hallway. They were down there with us at the same time, so we migrated one, one level up. But like the good thing is we just don't deal with like the the, the train traffic down there. Right. People right. standing outside trying to get to your door. People like walking randomly to your door, asking for directions. And yeah. Um, so this is it's nice being up here. But yeah, this is the only thing is that for podcasts and it only happens in the morning. So if this was like an afternoon, yeah. evening, like so my anything that's prior to noon, mm-hmm. usually you're gonna get a train going through at some point during the podcast. So, <laughs> and I thought we missed it too because we started what around ten thirty, ten forty five, and I was like, usually it's like the ten o'clock, but now it's yep. Know, so yeah. there it's we a, go. It's a definitely a beautiful view, you know, the lake. So that makes up for the noise. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so uh, back to Floyd. Um, so. So they they got involved quite a bit. They even actually had some of their corporate uh, people come down in one of the events and said that they wanted Walmart nationwide to do to get involved with policing and community policing and doing you know be more active roles in the community. And um, so now we're talking not just the Plattsburgh Police Department or the city of Plattsburgh. Now we're talking they want to do this like nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you're making a with bigger impact. What you're doing. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Wow. So, you know, we took pictures with Floyd and as assistant manager and the uh, regional director or the regional manager and then uh, people from their corporate office. And, you know, and here I am in uniform and they're taking a picture and there's a bunch of people there and kids and mm-hmm. and um, it was great. But he. Uh, the summer two summers ago um i went on vacation i was gone for like a two-week vacation and i stayed here locally and i got a phone call um from the assistant manager and she said um did you hear about floyd i said no i didn't she said he just got diagnosed with stage four cancer and they don't know how long he's going to live and one of the things, he's sick right now, and he needs to get treatment, and he's not in a good place. This is a man that's 34 years old. Yeah. He still has a life to live, you know. And um, they said one of his um, wishes were if you could come down today and do the um, Make-A-Wish foundation for the miracle is it uh the kids miracle miracle network it could, it's yeah, for it the kids right. kids with Make cancer wish, yeah, yeah. Yep. um and they set up like this little mock jail cell and floyd wanted to know if i could show up in uniform and they could pay money it's a donation they could pay money to keep me in jail or they could pay money to get me out of jail to bail me out and um, she said, I didn't realize that you're on vacation. She said, well, you know, I'll just let them know. I said, I'll be there in about 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I came in on my vacation and, uh, you know, I was in uniform and we raised thousands of dollars and they wanted to have a picture of me in there to let Floyd know that I was there. And, 
and he fought that battle and they thought it was you know not cured but manageable and 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 handled but um it came back and and not too long ago i was given a, a phone call from the current manager that Danielle, who I've become close with, and they said that he had passed away. So this past Sunday, I just got a phone call from Floyd's mom and Floyd's sister. And uh, it was a pretty emotional conversation. And I hadn't talked to the family since he had passed away. And and they let me know they're doing a razor run. He loved to ride those side-by-side razor machine, Mm -hmm. uh, the kind of off-road ATVs. And... um, it's about an hour and a half away. So they're doing a razor run and there's over 800 people signed up for it and they want people to donate for a cause. And Floyd specifically said to his mom and his sister that they would like, if something like that was done and it was for a charity or an event that he would like it to be given back to our community and specifically community policing Wow. and what I'm doing. And, they called me and asked if there was any ideas. Of course, I'm telling them, hey, there's United Way, there's JCEO, there's St. Jude, there's, you know, uh, the Salvation Army. And um, those are all great causes. But they said, is there something like specialized, something that, you know, in memory of Floyd? And I said, he likes four-wheelers and ATVs. They said, yeah. And I said, well, what about if you guys have funds and you buy something like a a side-by-side and we can put in memory of Floyd bump on there and um, we can use it for parades and community events and, you know, 4th of July and fireworks and um, the beach used to love going on the beach. So it could be used to patrol the beach. They want to open that wide open uh, this summer. Um, and they said that that is a great idea because that's what he loved to do. Um, so just to have that conversation is just, you know, somebody like that, that was just looking away to give back to the community, mm-hmm. um, did it just before he passed and then including after. So wow. it's kind of touching to, yeah, you know, to talk about Floyd. So, um, no, I mean, like I said, it's, you know, 34, I'm 31. So, I mean, he's, yeah. he's you know, a peer of mine or age wise. And I, I didn't know him, but, um, yeah, it's, no, I think it, like I said, it's, uh, this, I mean, the stuff that you've mentioned, I think this is what, 121 episodes. I think majority of the stories are just stuff I've never heard before. Or like I said, uh, you know, we have a lot of the stuff we have fun and we, you know, shoot the breeze about a bunch of different topics mm-hmm. and stuff. But like I said, I think it's important that, you know, to kind of get the message out of like, hey, there's, there's, you know, there's people that need help in the community. It's not necessarily like, you know, we see national stuff and they, you know, and it, there's benefits to national charities, but I'm always like, I really try to focus on if I'm going to do time charity, I try to make sure that it's still in the confines of, you know, the county or, or the or the local area that um, could benefit from it. Cause there's so many right. people that need neighbors that need help mm-hmm. that it's like, it's a part of the local matters. Like take, there's people here that need your help. There's na- people you don't even know about that need your help. That, yeah. like you said, you might see them on the street. Hey, you know, Paul, how you doing? And all of a sudden, you know, Paul's struggling, and you right. didn't, or you didn't. I mean, you don't know he's struggling. Right. But someone like you or United Way or JCO might know that. And, right. Um. No, I think it's absolutely incredible what you're doing, and I, I, you know, like I said, I wish you, you know, more success. And obviously, I've talked to um, 
I think it was the the community Christmas you could you said mm-hmm. you called it now. I think we had done some stuff with the Osable Forks uh, Fire Department. And, right. Uh, actually, you were one recommended. I'm, I'm sure he's going to listen to this, but uh, Mike Cross was. A, oh yeah, uh, yeah. He's a good friend of mine, and um, yeah, he's the one who reached out to me, and I said, "Hey, is there a way you can bring one of your fire trucks down?" There? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, so, he, I'm sure he jumped at it. He's, at the, yeah. he's a like I said, he's got a heart of gold, and I think. Um, you know, and I, like I said, I, just the stuff you're doing, and I think you're putting your resources in the right direction, and I think you're you you are making a difference. And I think that, like I said before, that snowball effect. I think the difference is really going to compound. And I think mm-hmm. you know this, the work you're doing now, you know, you, you kind of want to leave the place better than you found it. And I think that's right. something you're doing. Yeah. Um, well, if uh, if people want to get involved, like kind of, I mean, I have your card, but just kind of give them the you know, if you want to reach out, what you know, things that you're looking for, upcoming events you guys have. Yeah, and and we're always open for suggestions. Also, and you know, we don't we don't know all, um, and we're not trying to be all, but we definitely want to get involved. And if people want to either come down to the community center at seventy nine Margaret Street, um, if the open signs on and lights on, I'm there. If I have to leave because um, I'm usually the only person manning it, um, it's not staffed by other police department members. So if I have to walk the beat, I lock it up. If I have to go do an event, I lock it up. Um, if I'm, you know, meeting with with clients or you know with people in need, I I'll, I'll lock it up. And then as soon as I come back, I'll turn the lights on. And um, so there are times that it is locked up, but I typically work Monday through Friday, eight to four, eight to five, sometimes till six, till seven, depending on what's going on. Um, I can also be reached on my department cell phone number. It's 518-802-7026. And I carry that with me pretty much 24-7. Um, I, you know, answer text, emails, phone calls. Um, being part of the recruiting process now, I'm, you know, I don't want to say even more available, but... Um, there are people that I've some young people that I've talked to that are interested in the career and I could give them a, uh, a perspective on what the job is and what they need to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, uh, Brad, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time. And like yeah. I said, I, some of the stories, some I said, some of the stories are, were you know, pretty heavy stories, but I think there's things that people have to be aware of. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, that's why I do a lot of the podcasts. I get to meet different people and hear different perspectives and yeah. stories. And I think, um, you know, like I said, this, I was very happy you came on. Thank you very much. Um, anything else? I, I appreciate the invite. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it is a small world and things, people hear things and, or they see things. And, you know, uh, whether people know it or not, by you doing this, you're getting involved. You know, it involves you getting involved in the community. Um, you know, to have this conversation that maybe people weren't aware of the services or what we're trying to do. Um, like you said, times are changing. Um, I think it's not only needed, but it's wanted. Uh, we've been very fortunate with our community. We've worked with people that, you know, are fighting for equality and, um, you know, instead of damaging buildings and, you know, riots, uh, they have a First Amendment right to express themselves and to protest and we were part of making sure that that was done peacefully um, on both sides. And, um, you know, I appreciate the time because 
time is more valuable than anything else. Mm -hmm. So by me sitting here talking about what we're doing as a department and the community center is, um, it's very valuable. You can't put a dollar amount on it. It's, you know, the, the time to be able to do this and express what we do and maybe it'll get five, 10, a hundred, a thousand more people to say, wow, you know, there's a lot going on in our community. Um, it's right here locally and, uh, they should be proud. They should be proud of how the community has responded and, and what our local departments are doing. And being a leader, like you said, you've been doing this two years before it was a state mandate. And yeah, then, and yeah. Also it's the Walmart trying yeah. to get people involved. And yeah. As a matter of fact, um, Nicole Patterson, Nicole Hilton Patterson from Adirondack um, Diversity and Inclusion wants me to go to Saranac Lake. We're still trying to get with a time and a date um, and speak to other departments, uh, politicians, business owners, because they want to use what we're doing as a model for the state. Um, as far as a, a community policing program. So, you know, that that means a lot. So Groundbreaking, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Well, Brad, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, again, folks, if you can check them out and, you know, stop in the community center. It's, it's, it's you know, I'm sure you pass by it multiple times a week. So stop in, say hi. Um, and, yeah, if you can get involved in any, um, follow you guys on social media. You have a social media presence, and we'll try to link some stuff up in the show notes. But if you... Uh, if you can, check them out, follow them. I think that's where, like I said, I, I see some of the stuff you guys are doing in the community. And, uh, you know, I think if people can, you know, give, you know, if they have resources to give, whether that be time, you know, money, awareness, you know, so even just support, even a high five, I'm sure right. like, keeps you keeps, your, uh, keeps you guys going. So, yep. um, but Brad, thank you very much. Again, that is episode uh, 121 of the Galen Trombley Show. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.